Let us pray before we do anything. I love to pray. Jesus, Lord, we recognize that this is a space where, as Bruce said, we don't, we don't leave worship, Father, when we lean into your word. This morning, I pray that our hearts would be open to your word, Father. Lord, we love you this morning. Lord, I just pray that our hearts would overflow with love and our love would help us to surrender to what you're wanting to say to us this morning. Father, we want to receive from you. Lord, the worst thing would be if we come and we don't receive from you, Jesus. Lord, and it's not the speaker. It's not the worship team. It's just intentionally saying, God, I'm going to meet with you. It says, seek me and you will find me. So Jesus, I pray that our hearts would not be to look, what can we get from the speaker? What can we get from the worship? What can we get from the amazing host? Lord, I just pray that we would be able to receive from you as we seek you. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, I'm going to uh, start with, you, you, you didn't guess it, a story. So can everybody just say the name? My, my story has a name this time. One lime, short of a good time. Can you say one lime, short of a good time? So I personally don't drink margaritas, but the story involves someone that was one lime short of making a good margarita. So, and the, the, the story has nothing to do with drinking. That's just the setup for the story. It's just a, it's a catchy thing. It rhymes. One lime short of a good time. So it's just a good setup for the story, okay? So I, the story is not actually my own. The story, I've heard it probably maybe 30 times, though. One of my old bosses at one of the companies I used to work with, this was like his go-to story to every new employee. So every new employee that came through, he would come in and he had his little things like, I could almost do his jokes better than he could. Like I just, you, you've heard him say the same story. Angie's probably gets so sick of my stories where she's like, and here he's going to say this. You know, you, you just know, if you know what somebody's going to say, you can almost preempt. And so this is one of those stories that I heard time and time again. And so the setup is this, is um, the, the, the scene is in Florida, which I've never been to, but I'm told it's very, very muggy. I come from Tucson, Arizona, where there's a dry, dry heat. It really is a dry heat. It's not, um, it, it's bearable to some degree, but it's, a, it's so humid. And uh, it's a Saturday, and him and his friends are in the pool in, um, at their house on a Florida day, and it's one of the hottest days of the years, and it's so muggy, and no one wants to get out, and, and he, he draws the short straw, and, it's, and it was decided that they're one lime short of a good time, and so he needs to go to the grocery store to pick up one lime. That was his only mission. His mission was to go and get one lime. So He's already regretting the fact that he's the one that has to go get the lime. And so he has to get out of the pool and get dried and head onto the car and, and zoom to the, re, the, the grocery store. And he chooses a grocery store that's a little bit further away because he knows that this grocery store is known for its good service. It's a, it's a grocery store called Publix. If you've ever been on the east coast of the U.S., it's just known for a little bit better service. Um, and so he, he headed there just a little bit further on purpose because he wanted to get in as quickly as he can and get out because he only needed one lime. So he heads to the grocery store and he, he, he finds his lime quite promptly and he heads to the, the, the checkout area. And, and there's, there's, only two, um, there's only two, what do you call it, checkouts open, right? There's two, two little areas open. One for like the 10 and under or the 20 and under like little items. And the other was for the large one. And that, that large one was just really long and there was no hope. But unfortunately, the, 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 the one line was so long. 
And so he gets in the back of the line, and he's, he's, he's getting more and more frustrated because he already wishes he was back in the pool on this very, very hot, muggy day. And so it, it, it gets to the point where he starts to count the items in the people in front of him to make sure that they're under that 10 limit, you know? Like a six-pack of Coke turns into six items. Like, that, that's actually six different items that you have. You're going to have to move to the other line. So regardless of the fact, he starts to get upset. And as he looks up, he sees that the, the lady that's on has, like, the, the pretty much the, the version of our L learner's plate on. Like, she's learning the job. And she's being trained the job. And he starts to just, he gets so upset. And he starts to get derailed. And more people are getting upset in the line. And the line is moving very slowly. And he, he finally gets up to the counter. And, and he's ready to give a piece of his mind to these people. Like, you decided on a busy Saturday to train your one person that you don't. He was going to give them all sorts of feedback. But as he got up to the, to the checkout line, immediately the girl says, sir, I am so, so sorry you had to wait so long. I can only imagine how frustrating this has been. This, and, and, and I think the spiel was longer, and this is the only opportunity that I had to come in to be trained. As I've got, it was this new thing. Do you know what happened is, is like the, the force that he had been drumming up, he was ready to, he was ready to just, rip in, just he was rip into her. He immediately, he started getting mad. He, he got mad at, I don't remember what he got. He got mad at something else. But I want to tell you, how easy is it for us to get derailed from purpose? We can have a clear vision of what it is that God has called us to. We can have a clear idea of what God is wanting us to do. We can have a clear idea. This morning, the title of my sermon is following on from our series that we did, Living from Victory. The title of the sermon this morning is Winning the Battle. You can have a very, very clear picture of what it is that God has mandated you to do, has had the battle that's in front of you. But how easy is it for the circumstances of life to derail us from that purpose? It's as easy as going for one lime in a grocery store, that it takes us out of the game. And this morning, another title for my, my sermon this morning is Winning the Battle in Any Season is winning the battle in any season. There is a problem with winning the battle in any season. And I think too many times Christians can be guilty of not acknowledging the reality of our current circumstances. And so when we're talking about winning the battle in any season, it's really important that we pause and we reflect on we're not saying we win the battle in just the good seasons. And we're not even saying we're ignoring or we're wishing or we're waiting for or we're trying to control our circumstances so that they line up with the best way that we can win the battle. I'm talking about you can win the battle in any season and it has nothing to do with changing your circumstances. This morning, I want to dive into three principles that I believe, that, that we haven't yet touched on in this series of Living from Victory, and this is just kind of the part B, if you will. It's not a series, it's a one-off message of how do you win the battle in any season. We've talked about how do we, how, what's our mindset of living from victory, but I want to give three very, very practical principles this morning that regardless of what season you're in, regardless of what circumstances you are, you can succeed because how many of you know that God is the one that determines victory? And he is not challenged and he is not changed by your circumstances. 
So the promises, the, the dreams, the destiny, the purpose, the life has not been mitigated by your circumstances, even if you've placed them at a higher level than they should be at. We can win the battle in any season. I want to um, use the story of Joseph this morning. It's been a couple years since I've preached on Joseph, and I just, uh, there's so much richness in his story. So uh, read along in your head with me, or read out loud if you want, but it's kind of long. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Billa and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. And he goes on to tell them that they're going to bow down to him. Then he dreamed another dream, and he tells them they're going to bow down to him again, this time with the sun, the moon, and the stars. His father rebuked him and said to him, what is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him. But his father kept the saying in mind. Jacob then sends Joseph to go and check on his brothers one day. And they plan to throw him in a pit and kill him. And Reuben says, please don't kill him. And they end up selling him when Reuben wasn't there to slaves. And meanwhile, those, and I'm in verse 36. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I think any time that we start with battles... I don't know about you, it is so easy for me to let the battle become the thing that I'm trying to win. And I'm just going to step back from that. Because if we start with the battle, I think we're losing. If we start with the addiction or the, or the, or the small piece of breakthrough that we're looking for or, or whatever piece of life we're wanting to find in Jesus, you have to step back and look at the big picture of what is the dream that God put on your heart. I listened to a phenomenal podcast this weekend around, um, around this idea of dreaming and, and just the encouragement that we have to allow ourselves to dream big and huge and as big as God is. But I just want to call us back to just a quick question of what are the God-sized dreams in your heart? Because if we want restoration in this relationship or we want to see reconciliation between this friendship or we want to see um, alcoholism be, be canceled in our family or what, whatever it is that you're looking for, that you're, that you're petitioning God to see, we have to step back and say, why do we want that thing to be the case? Because otherwise you'll get lost in just trying to win the battle and you, you'll lose sight of what that is. And... It's probably the favorite thing that I love to preach on, and I'll keep preaching on it every day until I die, is that there is destiny and there is purpose on every single person here. There is transformation waiting to be released that has your name on it. When we get disconnected from this fact, our battles lose, this, lose, lose importance. And we're going to look at the life of Joseph and how he maybe even loses sight at different times. But before we jump into winning the battle, we have to look at winning the battle through the lens of the dreams and the destiny and the purpose that God put on your life. And it is significant. 
If you minimize the significance of the call of God on your life, you're minimizing God himself. Because when we say that the Spirit of God resides in you, we're not saying you've got some little sliver of him that's not powerful. No, you've got the same Holy Spirit that resided in Jesus resides in you. Greater works will you do. But I love Joseph's story because he had this dream. He had a lot of confidence. He had this passion. And then one day what happens? It's all gone. He lands himself in slavery. Not many of us have the testimony of going that far down in the dumps. I can just imagine the thoughts that he would have. You can literally see all of his, his dreams. He's being sold into slavery in another land. His specific dreams, there's no way this could ever come to fruition. There's no way this could ever happen. His situation is so changed. And I think, I love Joseph's story because it starts with such a huge gap between the reality of his circumstances and that God-breathed dream in his heart. And I think if we're, if we're really honest and we take a step back and we look at where we first received the dream and we first received life and we first received destiny and purpose, and then what, whatever happens, and you have to insert whatever that looks like, if it's heartbreaking divorce, if it's the loss of a loved one, if it's an unfulfilling job, if it's your kids in trouble, it, whatever it is, addiction that consumes you, when that enters in, this is the point where many of us become disengaged and discouraged and we start to take this God-sized dream. We start to take that the purpose that when, when that person prayed for us and we just felt the sense of God's hugeness and we start to bring it down and down and down until we limit who God is until he can only fit into this very, very small box. And we don't truly believe that he can win the battle in any season because my season, my circumstances have dictated the call of God on my life and of winning the battle. But I love, I, I'm reading a number of books right now, but John Maxwell is one of my favorite right now. And this is what he says. He says that to be able to realize your dream, you need to be willing to do extraordinarily difficult things to grow and change so that you can accomplish it. Just say it one more time. To be able to realize your dream, you need to be willing to do extraordinarily difficult things to grow and change so that you can accomplish it. If there's anyone's story in the Bible to do a case study on circumstances determining destiny, circumstances determining winning the battle, I think Joseph is a phenomenal one to look at. He lands himself in slavery, and then we're going to look at very briefly, he lands himself in prison, and yet he still walks in the fullness of the expression of the dreams that God put him in. And the word of the Lord this morning that somebody's spirit is crying out to hear is that no matter what your circumstances are, you are still able to step into the fullness of winning the battle. It's one of those things that we, we don't want to dare to dream about it because life can beat us down so much. I just, can we connect with the man Joseph for a second and put ourselves in his slavery shoes and his prison shoes and recognize this is someone who is not just telling us a story, but who has lived his story. Last week, I had the chance to share at Masterton Community Church, my old church, and I got to preach there. And one of the things, and I got so emotional when I preached, because when we went to that place as a family, we were in one of our lowest places you could possibly imagine. This is also not coming from someone that says life is full of 
roses and puppy dog tails or whatever, whatever we think good things are. This is someone who's also lived in very low places. And this morning, I don't share with you a story, but I share with you a testimony that you can win battles in any season. Let's keep reading. Genesis 39.1, now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had bought him. The Lord was with Joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in the house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. What is your response when life just doesn't go the way that it's supposed to? My response is often not the best response. And I just, as I was thinking here, Joseph's response could have been really salty. He could have been pretty upset. And he could have, if I was sold into slavery, I don't think I would have been adopting the model that Joseph did. But we have to lean into the first principle here. And it's a powerful one, and it's a hard one, and it's, it's counterintuitive. Joseph changes his heart posture, and he responds to adversity by committing his work to the Lord, and here's the key, and serving. This is not the response that many of us choose when life does not go the way that it's supposed to. We get bitter too easily. We go the opposite way. But the first principle that begins to bridge the gap between where you currently are and the victory over your battle is servanthood. The first bridge, and you're going to notice about every single one of these principles, is that it has nothing to do with the circumstances that you're in. But it has everything to do with bridging the gap between you, where you currently are. We're not ignoring it. We're not wishing it to go away. We're not controlling it away. And how to step into the fullness of winning the battle and who Jesus is. We've already talked about in depth that, that victory is the Lord's. He is victory. We cannot step outside of that victory, but we've also talked about this gap before. Matthew 20, verse 26 says, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. There is this, there's so many beautiful principles that are just deep principles of how God has created this world to work, and this is one of them. And it's counterintuitive because when, when those circumstances come away, our natural inclination, or else I won't speak for you guys because you may be more redeemed than me. My natural inclination is to want to control my circumstances and make sure that I can step into the driver's seat more. When things don't go right, I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that I don't feel that pain again. I'm going to do everything I can to put myself into a little cocoon where I, maybe I'm just numb to it. But servanthood is the is what God says will release greatness, will release victory. Greatness is hidden in servanthood. Victory is unlocked in servanthood. I think one of the things that I wish he didn't, but he always does, is God deals with our heart first. He deals with condition of our heart first. He always deals with our attitude. I love the word here for servant, though. It's from the Greek word diakonos, and it literally means this. It means servant, but it also means minister. 
I thought that this, this is just an interesting servant doesn't just mean servant. It means minister. And I'm going to give you the literal translation of what, what this word diakonos actually means. It means thoroughly raise up dust by moving in a hurry and so to minister. What, what is that saying? Like you're going so quickly to serve or you're going so quickly to minister that you're kicking dust up that you're going so fast like the Looney Tunes, you know, like the... You, you shoot off. This, so what does this word mean? This is the opposite of dragging your feet. You've, we've heard the expression dragging your feet. This word servant means the opposite of drag your feet. So what are we looking at here? Being a servant is ministry. And being a servant isn't just the actions we do, but the attitude we carry. It is to be one we are joyfully doing. And how many of you know that ministering, you don't, well, you can minister to yourself, I suppose. But more often than not, ministry is outwards focused. What a powerful response that when our circumstances of life, we're not ministering to ourselves and protecting ourselves, but our response to unlock the dreams in our life is to serve others. It is a powerful shift Greatness, then, is measured in both your attitude and the action in serving others. How many of you know and have probably won, just as I have, that you can win temporary battles with a really bad attitude? That temporarily you can stay on top. And I think too many of us just move around quickly so we don't have to reap the consequences or the actions of our, our, of our long-term bad attitudes. But let's just... Just look at Joseph's attitude when he started. Look at his heart posture before he went into slavery. What was the first thing that we hear about Joseph is that he brought a bad report of his brothers to his father. And we learned that his brothers couldn't speak peaceably to him or about him. And we learned that the, his brothers hated him even more and he still continued to share his dreams where he was going to be in charge of his brothers. Do you think we have someone that maybe has a, just a little bit of an attitude problem? I think so. And, and it doesn't mitigate the call of God on his life, but it certainly reflects the position of his heart in that place. How many of you know that we block victory when we are self-serving? We block victory when we are self-serving. One of our core values, this verse, we honor others above ourselves, but the verse that we have right alongside our core value is this. Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I think servanthood is when we take seriously the charge that Jesus said to love him with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love others as ourselves. We, we, we go way too fast over those and say, I understand that intellectually, and yet our heart doesn't represent that because we're too busy setting up this little thing of self-serving. But servanthood takes those commands seriously. Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. He had a heart posture of humility. Can you imagine the response that would happen when you have someone that you're in relationship with and they come and they, they do the wrong thing and your response to them is servanthood? Can you imagine how this turns things on its head where, where the real kingdom of God starts to be expressed and not our kingdom of offense? Not our kingdom of bitterness. 
We don't take seriously the encouragement, do I say it, the commands of Jesus. How do we unlock and we get stuck in things? But it's in servanthood is the first one. Joseph is made in the midst of slavery, in the midst of the worst circumstances you could imagine, overseer of a royal Egyptian house. Your circumstances cannot determine your victory. The posture of your heart before God bridges the first gap. Joseph moved from an entitled position to a servant, from a victim to resting in the identity of God. And then I I love where Joseph's like integrity and servanthood lands him in prison. Like, awesome, God. Thank you so much. And how many of us at the point when we've been pushing into servanthood, when we've been living selflessly, we find ourselves going backwards. And oftentimes we're like, this didn't work. I'm going the other way. But I want to submit to you that it is in the hard road of integrity, humility, and servanthood that true victory over the battle is found. And this thought just came, and I just think it's, it, just think about it. I, I truly believe that Joseph could have avoided prison. He could have, I, there, he could have avoided prison. I'm not suggesting that he had to be, you know, compromise his morals, but he could have. He didn't have to be that intense. He could have figured out his way. But I, I guarantee if he wouldn't have, if he wouldn't, have gone that road, I don't think he would have made it to the palace. And I want to encourage you this morning that you can possibly avoid prison. You can have possibly avoid it getting a little bit worse. But if you don't go the full rounds with where God is taking you and how he's taking you, you will not find your way to the palace in the same degree that you would. What am I saying? That we have to go the hard road of servanthood in the face of whatever circumstances you're looking at if you want to see yourself in the palace. Greatness in the kingdom is measured in valuing other people and helping others maximize that value and potential. Greatness is hidden in servanthood. The next principle comes from our next passage, Genesis 39, 21. But the Lord was with Joseph, right after Potiphar's wife, and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. The next principle that we're going to look at, and all these principles have S at the start, just so you can help remember them. It's only God, right? That's not too hard. The next principle that we find that's in Joseph is the idea of stewardship. Some of you may be saying like, man, servanthood and stewardship, you're killing me with winning the battle. We're going to unpack this, but I I can't encourage you enough. Looking at the story of how did Joseph succeed in the midst of circumstances, and I know there are some stories in here from some of the people that, that would break my heart and you just don't stop crying and, you know, you need like a year of weeping just to go through some of the pain. I understand that. When I preach a message like this, it's not, it's not not understanding the depth of some of the circumstances, but I also am connected to the bigness of my God. And we need to understand and not just have rote understanding of, I just kind of got to love people and it's going to be okay. We need to dig into the principles found in the word to unlock the greatness that is in Jesus. Jesus himself teaches us why stewardship is so important in Matthew 25, 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to them his property. 
To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And he comes back, and we're not even going to talk about the servant who doesn't do anything with it. It's not part of this story. But he says to the two that have been faithful, he says this. The master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Stewardship at a very basic level understands that if you're faithful with what you've been given, you'll be given more. And hear this, let's just take it one step further. If you're victorious with the battle in front of you right now, you will be given more victory tomorrow. Stewardship is ownership. Oh, I love the word ownership. How many of you know that we as Christians need to take ownership of our lives? That it's not someone else's fault where you are where you are. It doesn't matter what they've done. It doesn't matter how they've done it because that's putting them in the place of your master. And how many of you know we're going we're gonna to talk about where Jesus is, but there is no one greater than my God. Greater is he that is in me and anyone that's in this world. And we become the righteousness of Christ, meaning when, when, I'm, when I teach my boys about the forgiveness of sins and how, how what Jesus did washes us away, too many of us Christians don't believe that we become his righteousness when we lay our sins down at the foot of his cross. It says that we are made new. That means that all of the things in your mind can be washed away, that the sins that you've done, you can be made new. How many of you know that that changes everything? It doesn't change everything if we st still think that we're stuck in it and we're going to serve and we're going to, I'm jumping ahead, but we're going to serve a different master. God delights in us seeing things grow. And I think too often we're looking for the fully formed, maybe a sword or we're looking for the spear or even a shield. But I want to submit to you that stewardship says that victory that you are waiting for is already in your hand in seed form. That's what stewardship, that's what it means, is that you already have victory right now in your hand. How many, I almost wanted to bring a seed today and just throw it at someone and just kind of see what the impact it would have. It, it, it probably wouldn't do very much. I want to submit to you that many of you are throwing the seeds that you've been given and expecting them to do something. You're throwing it at the enemy. You're throwing it at the relationship that you have, and you're like, God, the thing that you've given me, my goodness, it's really not working. It's hitting you, and it's bouncing back off. They didn't even know I threw it at them. But I want to submit to you that what stewardship says is that you take the seed that you've been given, and you start to water it, and you start to put it in light, and you do all the great things, and then what happens is it grows into a tree. You could throw the tree at them if you want, but then what happens is what you could even do, the next step is you start to form that tree into what you need. And so what you're looking for to win this battle is already in your hand in seed form. That's what stewardship says. Stewardship is one of the hardest principles to understand because it's trusting that right now, this very second, that the battle that is in front of you, God has given everything that you need to beat it. That's very difficult to understand and very difficult to swallow. But it's absolutely the truth. It's just we need to start watering those seeds we need to stop throwing our seeds at people and start forming them into what they can be and who God has called us to be. So if you only have a cup of oil, or if you only have a bread and two fish, or if you only have a voice to cry out, there is enough for victory to begin to take place. You may not have silver or gold, 
but I can promise you that what you have is enough to be victorious now. There's a, one of the things, and I know I've mentioned it again and again, but Bruce Billington has, has constantly told me almost every day of my, my walking life with him is that the journey that we're in is a, is a marathon. It's not a sprint. And we need to understand that in light of the marathon, that's how we need to view this battle. And what is God asking you to be faithful with right now? What, with what you have in your hand, what can you steward faithfully now? What can you be victorious in now? There's a quote by Haile, and Bruce, you can probably correct me on his, the last name, Ge- Geber Selassie? Geber, is that close? Pretty good. So he's, he's widely renowned as possibly one of the best long-distance runners to have ever lived. And he says this about the marathon. When you run the marathon, you run against the distance, not against the other runners and not against the time. How many of you know comparison is a killer? Comparison destroys and takes from us. I think I've been there at different times. If I only had what that person had, if, if just this one circumstance in my life had been different like that other person had, if you got the same set of circumstances that they had, you wouldn't be able to succeed because God has uniquely given them the tools that they need to run their own race. There is not a set of circumstances. It's not the perfect marriage over there that that gets all of the whatever it is. It's not the perfect children over there. It it doesn't work like that. Can you receive the word that what you have in your hand is all that you need to see the battle come to fruition and victory? Stewardship is saying, I trust God. Because it's the smallest acts of faithfulness and stewardship that become the starting point of a huge victory in God. I love these two things, that Joseph was in slavery and in prison. Pretty bad on the list of how things can go. And Joseph shows us that in servanthood and in stewardship, two things that have nothing to do with the places where he was put, we can win the victory in any season. The final principle I'll wrap this up slowly. Comes from another man who spent a lot of time in hardship and in prison himself. You may only have a pen and a paper like Paul and a fiery determination, but how much he achieved from just prison. He's changed the known world with writing the New Testament. Paul says this in Romans. Romans 6, 19. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness. So now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. The last principle that I believe wholeheartedly closes this gap from your reality of your current circumstances and you put in stewardship and it's one, servanthood rather, it's one big step and then stewardship which is another big step. The last step that bridges the gap between the victory in Jesus and the reality of your current circumstances is surrender. Is surrender. I love just looking at the definition of what these words mean and surrender or, or the word here in the ESV says offer. Offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness. Offer yourselves literally means to present, to surrender, to yield. Or in the original language, it literally means to place yourself beside. I don't, I don't, know, what, I don't know what conjures up in your mind when you think about the word surrender, but for me, it's different things. It's about, it's about like 
weakness. It's about meekness. It's about not letting other people see me um, as, you know, I'm going to kind of keep my own. I'm, I'm a man and I'm not going to worship in church because it's just I don't want others to view me in a certain way. But there's, there's a very different definition in, in the Bible of what it says. It says what? That you place yourself beside this, this is a lot more action-driven than I thought surrender was. Surrender is almost like the anti-action, like, I'm not going to do anything, and like, something's going to happen. No, surrender is I'm placing myself beside, freely placing yourself behind, beside. There is no force in surrender. God is not going to say, get on your knees before me. This is something that we freely place ourselves in. The story of David and Goliath. Do you know what was on the line with who, who was going to win, either David or Goliath? Do we know what was going to be on the line? The losers were going to become the slaves of the other people. Makes you wonder, like, what they were thinking of, like, it's like, it's one thing for David to be bold enough to be like, I'll fight him. And it's another for them to be like, yep, go fight him and just put our slavery on the line in you. But... There's a principle here that whoever wins the battle becomes the master. And this becomes pretty challenging to us when we may have lost battles that potentially we could have won and we've become the master of something. We've become, we've become the slave of something other than Jesus. There's a principle here. And the principle is not that you don't have control. You have control at any given point to go and place yourself beside Jesus. At any given point. It's the lie of the enemy to say that the addiction is too strong. It's the lie of the enemy to say that your situation is too complicated for a simple fix. But I want to submit to you that in times of worship, when you come into here, you need to get over yourself and start surrendering to Jesus so that he can start winning the battle in your life. This is not about appearing strong before other people. This is about placing yourself beside the master. If you don't place yourself beside that master, who is your master? The reality with surrender is that you only have as much authority as to the person that you're surrendered to. So if you, even if it's just you, I'm going to create my own, my own set of circumstances. I'm going to be master to no one but me. But guess what? You only have as much authority as you personally carry. Surrender is, the, is understanding the principle of authority and who you place yourself beside. And slavery, there's some really good teaching that you're going to get even in the first session of the home group all in. Bill Johnson goes into it, and it's just, it's good. But he talks about that your property, everything that you own, becomes the property of them. But it's the same way around. When you become a slave to someone, their property, their authority, when you go somewhere, you carry that with you. Surrender. Those that can get on their knees before the King of Kings. Those that can place themselves in front of Him. It's powerful. And I just want to talk about very briefly, and I'll wrap this up. I'm going to skip a couple of my things. Do you know what finally broke Joseph in surrender? Do you remember it? He was fighting surrender. Do you remember the story? His, bro his brothers came back into his life as he's now king. And he's fighting them. He, he, how many times does the scripture say that he had to run away into some side room and weep? He was saying, there's no way, God, that I'm going to surrender. These guys, I'm going to get them good. I'm going to, I'm going to really see if they've changed their mind. And again and again and again, he sees that their hearts have changed, but he's fighting it. 
He's fighting it. But what breaks him, what releases surrender, is when his brothers say we did wrong. They don't even know that it's Joseph. It's when his brothers say, in truth, we were wrong. When his brothers show so much care and love, and even then Joseph's still fighting it. He's still fighting it. But do you know, the last thing comes when he says, he puts the cup in Benjamin's sack and he's like, Joseph's, Joseph's kind of messed up. He did some messed up stuff in there. But he puts, the, he puts the cup in Benjamin's sack and he says, you have to stay here in jail. And what happens, Judah? He steps up and he says, I hear you, but it would kill my father and you would ruin the boy's life. I've put myself in pledge for this boy. Will you take me instead? You take, put me in place of this boy and he can go home. And this was the point that released surrender in, in Joseph. And I think this morning, some of us need to hear that God has already done that for you. He's already burst through and he's already put his son's life on the line for you. And you've been thinking that it's all you. You think you can't worship because you still think that the strength resides in you and that it's you doing it. When simply it's you letting go and realizing he's already done that. He already loves you enough. It's receiving not intellectual love, but it's receiving the spiritual, real love that Jesus has. You can't fight that. And that's why it says that in the, in the scripture, it says that Joseph could not control himself. It came to a point, sur surrender is not like, like this inward weird thing. Joseph could not control himself. I love that expression, surrender is not weak. Surrender is not meek and mild. Surrender is one of the most passionate acts you can do because you're finding ultimate security in someone other than yourself. And it's a lie anyways, because when it's found in yourself, there's some, there's some other master you're serving. Maybe appearances of others that you don't wanna be viewed in a certain way. Maybe you're stuck in the generations of what, what parents said should be or shouldn't be or what church culture says you shouldn't or in this church culture, we don't do that. Can I tell you, there is nothing worth getting in the way of surrender to Jesus because it is your battle that is gonna suffer for it. How many of you know that if Joseph wouldn't have embraced this last topic of surrender, he would have missed the whole point of what God did? We all were like, yeah, Joseph's amazing in prison and he worked his way out of slavery. I think many of you here may have done that. But if we don't surrender, we've missed the very point of why God brought him through that in the first place. Remember his dream. His dream of authority over his brothers was not to rule it over them. It was to empower them, to release them. If he didn't take that step of surrender, he would have never reconciled with his brothers and he would have missed completely what the victory that God was after in him. It's an amazing story. Surrender releases the next step of victory. It bridges the final gap. Just wanna close, the very last scripture comes from Genesis 41, 52. The name of Joseph's second son, Ephraim, is so beautifully named. He says this, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. God has released victory to me in the worst circumstances you could imagine. 
God has released fruitfulness, reconciliation, redemption, life, purpose, destiny. He's completed and rewarded my dreams. But it's not through forcing your circumstances to change or wishing them or getting salty. It's through a response of servanthood. It's through a response of stewardship. And finally, it's through a response of surrender. I want to invite you this morning. I know maybe I don't know where we're at for time. But can I invite you, if you would like prayer, we want to be available to you. The eldership are here to pray. And anyone else that has leadership, home group leaders, if you want to pray for people, or if you want prayer, can we, just, can we just take time and just, if you want to, the team will play. What a beautiful name or something that's beautiful. And let's just pray. Let's, let's just do that. And I'm just going to pray. And I invite you to come forward at any point that you're, you're wanting for some prayer. But Father, we just... Lord, we come and we say we want to be servants to you, Father God. We're not self-serving. We're not looking at what do I think the best thing is. We're looking to serve the King of Kings. Father, we recognize that in stewardship, you've actually already placed everything in our hand that we currently need for victory. Father, would you bring that truth? And Lord, I pray above all in this place that you would just break off the walls that say surrender is for the weak. Would you break off the walls that say surrender is for someone else that doesn't understand because I understand more than you, God. But we understand that in your word it says, he who is strong, Father God, becomes weak. Lord, I just pray that you would release the bondage of people that haven't stepped into victory because they haven't surrendered. And Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't actually surrendered to you as Lord and Savior, Father, you're always freely offering that gift. We just make that opportunity available this morning. Lord, we just bless your name. Would you let your work your word not come back void this morning. Release your word into people's hearts this morning in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. I just invite you to come forward if you would like prayer and the team will just lead.